So, for the first time since late January, other than for Easter, I'm not going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Um, We are going to be in Psalm 46 this morning. Um, The next couple of weeks, we're going to, uh, this week I and next week Chad are going to share some uh, favorite psalms with you all. But um, just so you kind of know the big picture of what's going on, um, we had had another book of the Bible planned for the fall, and a couple months ago, Joe... Um, it just was laid on his heart to, to preach through the Sermon on the Mount, um, particularly as we go into an election season, and just focus on what does it mean to be Christ-like? What, what did the, the, the vintage of Christianity, what did it mean to look like Jesus in a hard and hostile world? And so uh, we're going to be going through that. When he shared that with the elders, we were all like, yep, that's it. And so that will start on August 9th, so a little preview. Um, But this week, again, we're going to be in Psalm 46, which, as I shared, is one of my favorite psalms, one of my favorite passages. This psalm um, was one of the passages that God has used repeatedly to bring my soul out of the depths. Um, in dark times when I've, when I've struggled, um, with just fighting out, fighting, feeling like I can't get my head above water. The Lord has directed my heart to Psalm 46. And so we're going to study through that, but I want to, to do a, a kind of a, a story, but, but give you a, a word picture that this Psalm uses four times. It, it says that the Lord is our refuge or our fortress. That's, that's the same word in that Psalm, translated a little different to, to help the poetry feel. That doesn't mean as much to us as modern Americans. So we live in a place with highways, and yeah, there, there might be some, um, battlefields from centuries ago. Um, we visited a fort with my kids from the 1773 where my grandfather lives, Fort Heron. But we don't see fortresses very often. Like That's not part of the landscape. And if you were to travel to other parts of the world, the defense of the country is visible to you, at least the history of the defense. So for instance, if you were to go to Europe, you'll drive down the road and then there's a giant castle it's fortified. It's stone, giant walls. If you were to travel through the Middle East, it's all over the place. Um, places where, where history goes back even further than Europe. You see fortresses, and I mean legit fortifications, all over the place. And in Israel, um, I got the privilege of spending a, uh, a few weeks there a couple different times over college studying. And the word fortress is the word Masada. Now that should click in a couple historians' brains if, if you're, any history buffs are here. Something very famous happened at a place named Masada. Well, that's not a specific name. That's the word fortress. And in Israel, the fortress of fortresses was called the fortress. I mean, it was just that. This was the defining place for what it meant to look for defense. And it's in the region of the Dead Sea. So this is the lowest place on earth. It is a desert. And I mean stereotype of desert other than no sand. It's all rock and dust. There is no water other than the Jordan River, which is nasty by this point, and the Dead Sea, which is full of salt. And you, like, you cannot clean that thing up. And in the middle of that, which is a big plain, a rock sticks up a thousand feet in the air. 
It is a thousand and I think 27 feet tall. The, the way to get up to this, up until Roman times, the only way up was what's called the snake path, and it's named that because it's just hairpin after hairpin. It looks like a snake going up this thing. You climb a thousand feet in one mile. Um, I did walk it. It was 115 degrees that day. Um, again, when I say desert, I mean desert. Um, it took me about 58 minutes to walk one mile backpacking in the mountains, carrying everything I need, I can do about a mile and 20 minutes, not even pushing. I was pushing for all I was worth 58 minutes. This thing is crazy steep. That's the only way in. It was so defensible, it could not be broken until Roman times. There were about a thousand men, women, and children hiding out there. It took the Romans 8,000 troops with about 8,000 thousand support people to build a ramp to this thing a thousand feet in the air. That's the only way they could do it. It took them about six months to defeat this against a bunch of families. That's how defensible Masada was. And so when when a Hebrew hears this psalm, when this was sung at the temple, and they heard that God is our fortress. God is our refuge. They thought about the most impenetrable, strong, secure place imaginable. And they saw this. I mean, this was, this was maybe 15 miles from Jerusalem. They thought strength and security. So I, I want to read this psalm again. I, I want you to get that in your brain. And then we're going to kind of put three hat hooks up on this psalm. I want to be careful. This is a song. This is poetry. We don't want to like point it out and make it too precise. But I want us to get some, some big things that we need to get thinking this way and this way and this way as we read through what God says to us in Psalm 46. So listen to this again with what we just said in mind. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How He has wrought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So there's two key themes there. God's our fortress. He's our Masada. But second, and this comes up at the beginning of the end, is that God is with us. God is our Emmanuel. 
And we talk about that a lot at Christmas. We know that, that God has come here. But, but the key thinking in this, the, the descriptive thing is that this is where God is at. But we stand on this side of Christmas. They were looking forward to it. When they could say God is present with us, that meant a lot to them and that was comfort. But for us, Jesus literally came and was present with us on this earth. He came in a body. He hurt like us. He was betrayed like us. He suffered like us. He even felt the guilt of sin like us. Not his own because he was perfectly righteous, but mine and yours was laid upon him. And Jesus, the Son of God, became Emmanuel, God, with us. So today, when we talk about God's presence, yes, we we enjoy what we have right now in prayer, in reading the Scripture, in the Holy Spirit's filling. But this is a literal thing we are looking forward to. We want to be with God. And because of Jesus Christ, we will be. So there's encouragement for our souls here. So, so this first verse, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble is, is the premise of this psalm. Without this, everything else doesn't make sense. Some of you will be going back in one form or another to school, I know. And you'll be studying logic. You'll be studying arguments. This is the basis for everything else in the psalm. God is with us, and He is our strong fortress. So what are three things we can kind of hang our hat on because God is with us and He is our fortress? The first one is this, in verses 2 through 5, we will not fear disaster because God is our refuge and present with us. We will not fear disaster because God is our refuge and is present with us. Look there again in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. In other words, the earth breaks. We, we had some car trouble this week. All right? That's a mess. That's a pain. No one likes car trouble. And it's stressful. And, and all these things, okay, can we fix it? How much is it going to cost? Do we have them? All these things pop into your head. By the way, God provided beautifully for us for all, through all of that. But here's what he says. The psalmist says, if the earth breaks, we're not even afraid of that. Though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea. I was thinking, we've had some great softball pitchers in our church before, but I think of Hannah Koenig, she was the last softball player, and how she can just fling that softball. Can you imagine just this mountain just getting chucked right in the splash in the ocean. He said, when that happens, oh, we're good. We're good. When the waters roar and foam, man, I love the ocean, and I love to just sit in the waves. The bigger, the better. But I remember back to a time on our honeymoon, um, we went to Sunset Beach, the famous beach in Hawaii, the you know giant waves. This is summer, so it's not the giant waves. But I went into that surf just a little, I came right back out of that surf real quick. It's, it's a whole nother ball game. The power of this. And the psalmist says, no, we're good. 
We're not even afraid. I want you to see there why and what God does for us in the midst of disaster. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the middle of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. God said there's a river. And most of Israel is a desert. Rivers are a big deal. There's one in a whole country. Think about the comfort of that. He's not talking about Jerusalem, by the way. That might be where some of the people might have thought, oh, yeah, the city of God. No, this is something different because there's no river in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on a mountain. It has no natural water source. So if someone attacked you, all they got to do is keep the water out. And you're going to come out of that city eventually. They win. It's so extreme that they're so desperate for water that Hezekiah led dudes with hammers and chisels to cut through granite 568 yards, six football fields almost, through granite to dig for a trickle of water to come into Jerusalem. That's how desperate they were for water. And what the psalmist says is, no, 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 no. We're not, gonna, we're not looking for a trickle. We're not looking to just survive where God's present, where God's at this. We got a river. God provides for His people richly. God eternally provides for His people. In the worst day, the worst disaster, the worst hurricane, the worst earthquake, the worst pandemic, the worst that can happen to you is death. Remember what Paul said? He's in a prison awaiting execution. And he says, for me, to live is Christ. I get to walk with him a little longer. And to die is gain. The worst you can do to me is chop my head off. And I get to go to heaven. We're good. Like, that's a good day. Thanks for the favor. That, that's not the attitude that we live in most days, is it? And it's because we don't take the perspective of Scripture. Our emotions so often rule our lives. Our fear of the bad guys, whoever, and, and I, looking out at this congregation, y'all think different people are the bad guys. There's a variety in here. But whoever the bad guys are, Our emotions about them get the better of us. And we fear, and we rage, and we get angry, we say ugly things, we panic, we make bad decisions. But we need to let Scripture override our emotions. Let me say that again. We need to let Scripture be the guide, not our emotions, not our fear. The Scripture says we will not fear when it all goes down. What's trumping your life right now? Is it your emotions, your politics, your fear? Or is it Scripture? 
God is sovereign over all that happens. The second hook on which to hang your hat. We will not fear political catastrophe because God is our refuge and present with us. Look at verse 4 with me. The nations rage. Did y'all hear that? Okay, catch this. Thousands of years old. It's the headline of every paper today. The headline of every internet news site. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. I've been thinking about toddlers lately. We've, we've got some in our community group and seen, seen one start to crawl, all these things. Toddlers, they fall for anything, right? L- literally fall. You know, they're walking along, there's carpet, they fall on it. You know, they're walking along, there's a Cheerio, they bend over, they, they plop, all right? And then they see something and they're walking, down they go. They just, they totter, right? And from God's perspective, he looks at this and says, those kingdoms are—they're like little tottering toddlers. They just plop over. What a perspective on history! The nations, the kingdoms totter, and it says, "He utters his voice, and the earth melts." The Lord of hosts. Another translation of host is armies. The big general, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We don't have to worry about all those nations out there. Whichever one it is. Again, whoever the bad guy is, all God has to do is talk. They're gone. Look at this. Come behold the works of the Lord in verse 8. How he has brought desolations on the earth. That's an uncomfortable verse. By the way, this is one I looked up and I studied. And like, so is that the best translation? I mean, that doesn't seem like something we brag about God doing. He makes desolations. The more I study, that's exactly what this says. We have a big God who's not afraid of how things feel to us. We have a sovereign, almighty God who rules the universe and has good ends and does good for His people. But He's not afraid of your emotions and how crazy things feel right now. And how everything just feels like desolation. He can take that. He's a big boy. God is sovereign. And then he says this in verse 9, and what a comfort it is. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. You know, through kind of religious folklore, disaster movies, all those dumb sorts of things, the, the ultimate in. The, the ultimate bad thing when everything's horrible is, is the battle of Armageddon, right? Have you ever read the Scripture's perspective on the battle of Armageddon? It, it actually, by the way, is biblical. 
It says that Satan and his leader, they, they get everybody they can. It says all the nations get their armies. So if you can imagine this, every nation on the planet gets together their army and they're going to fight God and they all gather in one place. Armageddon, it's a, it's a place. It's the valley or the hill of Megiddo is what that means. It's a town. So they get in this valley. Here's the battle. You ready? Verse and a half. These two were thrown alive into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came out of his mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. Battle's over. That's it. The worst war ever. Jesus talked. That's it. That's the worst, worst, worst. That the worst nation with the worst leader, it's led by Satan. Okay, I, now we can think all sorts of things about government and, and turn all these sorts of things that we can come up with that are bad and wrong with our government right now. If they're not Satan, right? This is literally led by the devil, and Jesus is like, yeah, throw him in there and kill everybody else. We're done. That's it. That's it. There was a movie that came out in 1989. All right, so I was 11 years old. It was, it was great. And we loved it. We watched over and over on the rented VCR with the rented videotape. Some of y'all will remember those days, right? It's called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I think they're actually remaking it. They'll probably ruin it. But the, the story is the dad's a kooky inventor and he invents a shrink ray. All right, shrink everything down. And there's a giant, and this means so much more to me than it did as a kid. There's a big, keep out! Of course, the kids go in. Um, yep, welcome to parenting. And they shrink themselves, and of course, they're in trouble now. So they, they end up out in the yard, and everything's huge. The ants are going to kill them. The bees going to kill them. They can't get around the grass. The lawnmower's going to destroy them. All these things are so huge and overwhelming. But, but, I mean, ants, like, that's how you take care of an ant, right? Is it done? But to them, it was huge. It's all about perspective. Are you looking the ant in the eye? Well, then it feels very overwhelming. But if you look at it from the perspective of Scripture... If Scripture trumps your emotions, it's a whole nother ball game. We don't have to fear politics. You, you know who's going to win the election? Jesus. He always wins. Now, we might elect the most evil, vile person in the world, and guess who still gets his way? Jesus. He, he's going to win. We read it. He wins. Now, I'm not saying that elections aren't important. I'm not saying politics aren't important. I'm not saying all these things aren't important. But ultimately, this is not our confidence. It's only Christ. It's only Christ. So let your fear stop. And that is the conclusion of this psalm. Look with me again in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still. I grew up reading the New American Standard Version, so that's how I have it memorized. It says it this way, cease your striving. 
We just need to calm down. So that's the third hat. Calm down. Verses 10 and 11. Cease your striving. We need to know our theology. You see, we have a big God. Be still and know that I am God. He's big. He's got this. But not only that, He is a generous and kind God who saves. You see, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for your sins and for mine. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it, it, such a good, good book of the Bible. Study that. Read that in your devotions. It takes a while. It, it's heavy. It, it's meaty. But man, it's so good. But the, the theme that just screams out to me because of my own self-righteousness, my own worry, my own fear, my own mess, is the idea of resting in Christ. We're not working to make God happy. We're not working to make our lives come out anymore. We're not working to save the world anymore. Jesus has already done the work. We're in the Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath now. And I know it doesn't always feel like it, but theologically, your righteousness doesn't get you in heaven. Jesus's does. So all those right things you do, they're good and we should do them and they please God. It's, a, it's a, an aroma that smells good to God. But not one of those gets you into heaven. And not one of those sins that you do keep you from heaven. The, the difference is Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' penalty, payment of the penalty of your sin. So the question is, do you have faith in Christ? And if you don't, friend, that's the one thing I would love to talk to you about. Through Mass, we'll stand, but we'll chat as long as we need to. And get this nailed down today. You need to stop your striving to get into heaven because you can't work hard enough. But Jesus has already done it for you. Trust in Him and turn to Him. Know your theology. Know we have a big God and we have a God who saves and gives us rest. But second, know your purpose. If you want to be calm, you need to know why you're here. You know, I had all these great visions when I was in college. I was going to do this. The world was going to change. I was going to be famous. I was going to do all this. Be the greatest preacher and the greatest pastor and have the biggest church and all this. The more I go in life, the more I'm grateful God didn't give me what I asked for. See, our purpose is to make Jesus famous. And we're not even doing the making. We're just telling people about what already is. Look at, look at the verse, second part of verse 10 then. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Who, who's doing the work here? It's God Himself. We're along for the greatest ride on earth. Just letting everybody know, Jesus is the famous one. It frees you so much. And it makes Nolansville and Providence Baptist Church and, and sitting here talking to y'all the greatest job in the world. So much more significant than what I had in my head. So much more meaningful. 
And and so let me say this to y'all who are sitting in a cubicle, maybe, (laughs) or your living room, your bathroom. I know some of y'all have had to hide in there to get work done. There is so much more significance to every day than you can imagine. And it all centers around Jesus Christ and telling everybody how famous and how good he is. So take comfort. Be encouraged. Let your heart calm down. and Be still. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do good things. We, we shouldn't try to help this world. But sometimes helping the world looks a lot more like sharing Jesus Christ, giving somebody a meal at the food pantry, buying two bags of extra cans and dropping them off in the brown box up there. Telling your neighbor about it so that when they ask why, you can say it because Jesus saved me and he, he loves me so much I want to love some other people. There's so much more meaning in that than I ever realized. We're declaring the fame of Jesus Christ. So know your theology. Know your purpose. And finally, know God's presence. We've talked about this already, but I, I want us to kind of wrap up here. It says in verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The one who commands ten thousands of ten thousands is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, so who's going to trump at the end of the day? You and your views and your opinions and your thoughts and your emotions? Or Scripture in Christ. You know, back then, they thought Masada would save. It fell in 73 AD. The true fortress, Jesus Christ, will save. It's sure. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to rage like the nations. We're still before God. So as we sing this last song, I want you to think about that. I want you to, in your mind, let your heart settle. I want to quote a song we sung earlier today. Um, It's by a guy named Augustus Toplady. Yes, that's a great name. 1763. He said this, Rock of ages, cleft from me. Let me hide myself in thee. There's no trust in anything else, just Christ. Let the water and the blood from the wounded side which flowed be of sin, my sin, the double cure. Save me from your wrath and make me pure. And the reason we sing this song so often at funerals is because the peace and the quiet in our hearts that that theological fact makes. Trust Christ. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth. Trust Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. And we know what the scripture says, but sometimes we are really scared. And we know what the scripture says, but 
the stakes which we see in front of us get out of perspective. They get distorted by our small view. We get angry. And we rage just like the nations. But Lord, teach us to not fear. To be still before the Almighty Creator God of the universe. The Great I Am who stands from everlasting to everlasting. God with us, who saves and saves completely. Lord, give us Your peace right now. May we sing about how You hold us and comfort us. May we go living this week and when that thing hits, whatever that thing is, or whenever the bad people seem to have the advantage, Remind our hearts and our minds. That's just a little ant. You got this, God. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.